1: A podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure.
0: And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist,
1: Dr. Nazanin Moali.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about the process of coming out as a transgender I am joined with a friend and colleague, Mrs. Christine McInnes, who is a licensed marriage family therapist, and she has a passion for the challenges and celebration of sexual and gender identity for all age groups. As a certified LGBT affirmative psychotherapy provider, she has supported several transgender clients and families as they progress through the process of transition and acceptance. I am so grateful for people like Christine, clinicians like her that take the time to get the appropriate training to work with this population. Because honestly, the stories that I hear from many individual that they transition It's just horrifying about the stigma they experienced, the level of stress that they experienced, and honestly, the hatred from the society toward them. So I think it's extremely important to find a therapist that's familiar with this work. And we're going to talk about how do you know that someone is a transgender and it's just not a face because- you know, with our gender identity can be very fluid. And at times, parents contacting me, asking me about things. And as we work together about the child's sexuality and gender identity, and like within a few months, that issue can automatically get resolved. The other thing that we're going to talk about is uh, what are some of the common comorbidity and the challenges that the population experience? And how can parents, most importantly, best support their children uh, when they're struggling with gender identity issues? Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mrs. Christine McInnes. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have my friend and colleague in the show today, Christine McInnes. Christine, welcome to our show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I was just sharing with you, uh, we were talking about before recording that how I was talking about how lovely and knowledgeable and skilled you are. And you were telling me like most of your clients are coming from word of mouth. (laughs) And that is fantastic for a therapist.
1: I love, I love my clients. And I think that the community, I've worked in the community for a very long time. I was a school counselor in the community prior to starting my private practice. And I think people know that they know that I'm there because I care, not because it's just a job for me. So I think that's gone a long way in helping me build a private practice.
0: And you know, what's interesting is you shared with me that you work as a school therapist for a while and I know that you have a niche in working with transgender. So tell us, how did you get kind of
1: interested and got training in this area? Well, I've always been fascinated by LGBT issues overall. Even as early as my youth, I had friends and, you know, back, you know, I'm almost 50. So back in those days, it was scary, you know, that no one wanted to come out. No one wanted to tell. It was very terrifying to be different and i had you know a few experiences of friends who were really traumatized about it didn't want to share and i think that's when it started to build my curiosity about this population even though i'm a heterosexual female i you know really do have this affinity for understanding differences among us and i just feel like in our society i've watched the change over the past 30 years to now how accepting we're finally becoming but how there's still such a long way to go. And as I started working with the LGBT population, when I really started working with transgender youth, I just fell in love with it. I think that you know, even within the LGBT community, they are they they have this problem with everybody accepting them. And it's so amazing to me because here they are, these poor people are just you know what they look like on the outside doesn't match how they feel on the inside is really the most simple way to explain it and yet we're so hard on them we're so judgmental we're so in fear when these when these people really are struggling so much i just find it amazing that our society is still giving them such a hard time as as a whole population and i think that's where you know i've always cared about the underdog i've always cared about people who were the most maligned in our society and I feel that's where my love grew from it. Um, and then working with them, watching a person come in the door who a thought that they had, a, you know, a, a severe mental disability, like this is this horrible thing, and then realizing, wait a second, I'm okay. It's just, it's just appearance. It's not even who I am. Let's talk about who I really am, and coming to a level of acceptance with it, and then some of them transitioning and becoming and blossoming and becoming new people. And then even bringing the family in because you know I usually will have some resistance there. There's a lot of grieving, a lot of loss, a lot of fear, and getting families on board along with the client is the most beautiful work in the world. It really is watching someone come from a place of fear and then come to a place of acceptance through you know the, through the work is is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed. And I don't know how to describe it really in any other way than that. But it really these are just Humans that have their outside appearance is not matching what they truly feel inside. That's all it is. And yet we're making it so much more than it needs to be for them. Right. And
0: I think as you were talking about, I think that's very common that I hear that even among like LGBTQ communities, like when people going to like, and I send referral to different sexual minority groups for support. Sometimes I find that like transgender clients, it's hard for them. It's because of the, they experience, another level of additional layer of stigma. And it, it's yeah. very unfortunate.
1: Yes. And it's so amazing to me that people themselves who are maligned for many generations now choose to malign others. I, I just find that so interesting. Um, it's this like, you know, kind of doggy dog world, I right. guess, but why is it that they're so hard on this group and, you know, why is this group so, so maligned? I don't understand. I I have a hard time comprehending it and and putting my head space into it. Um, And I think that's why I'm so effective working with them because I always come from a place of affirmative, even when they're in in a place of internalized, you know, homophobia, Mm -hmm. internalized transphobia, I, you know, can get them back to a place of acceptance on their own. Because that's a big issue that I'm finding with this population too. When you live in a world who's so against you and so against what you're going through, you start to internalize that into yourself, and that becomes a real challenge. And then you know, doubt creeps in. Am I doing the right thing when I'm transitioning? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is the, this the life I'm supposed to be leading? When they know deep down inside, it is. So there's that level of of um, internalized fighting too. That's really hard to watch.
0: And I'm glad that uh, you are in the community as a support for people who are curious. They're kind of processing all these different layers of changes, because at times I feel therapist biases can play into people's kind of processing their sexual orientation. I think that can be very harmful.
1: Yes, I think that comes up a lot, especially if a therapist is not uniquely trained in this niche, because There's a fear in in all of us of what we don't know. You know, that's really where I think all bias comes from is a fear. So if you yourself are are holding on to this idea that, well, the sex that you're born into is the sex that you are, that's going to affect the work. It's going to affect how you feel about the client when they do disclose to you, you know, I'm really thinking that I'm I'm not male, that I am female. I'm really thinking that I'm not a lesbian, that I actually am a man. Suddenly, if you're fearful of that, What's that going to convey to the client? It's going to be a difficult you know, difficult time to transfer it, transference issue. If you're yourself fearful. And I think therapists have to look at that because it's going to come up in the work.
0: Right. And I think at time it can be kind of confusing in a sense that sometimes I get calls from the parents that they kind of like curious. Is it like, so my, my daughter, my son, he does certain kind of, he likes like dressing certain way. He likes to kind of act out certain way and they're not completely sure is it a phase that like the child is going Mm -hmm. through or it's a gender identity how do you support people to figure that out
1: and see that's where I think it's so important to sit down and have family work done with this especially with clients under 15 because it's not just an understanding for that child it's an understanding for the whole family dynamic and if you have a child saying adamantly no I'm I'm not wearing that dress I am not a girl I am a boy you really need to listen because if it's not something that, you know, changes in the next week or two, then it probably is something that needs to be talked about and looked at. And I'm not saying right off the bat, if a child says to you, well, I don't want to wear that dress. I'm not, you know, I'm, am a, I'm a bo- you know, I'm a boy that they're transgender, but if it's something that's repeatedly happening, yeah, there's something there. And I think there's a lot of denial, a lot of fear once again, and that's where the family work is so important. Because I can work with the child, and I'm sure we'll come to a level of acceptance. But if they go home to a family that doesn't accept, that's when you have the high rates of suicidal ideation. That's when mental illness really rears its ugly head, anxiety, depression. All of those factors then come in if you are not being accepted in your family of origin. It really is the biggest factor in causing a lot of difficulty for a transgender person because they're not feeling accepted and it's scary again you know then it causes all self doubt are they crazy is there something wrong with them it really is the biggest indicator of success and how one becomes fully transitioned if they really have family acceptance it's a big 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 factor
0: and i'm i like that when you're talking about a kind of like engaging the family doing more in-depth work because at times like I feel like most parents, most people, they don't know about the complexity of our gender identity, sexual orientation. And, you know, they want a kind of simple answer. It's like you're going to right. a gynecologist. Do I have this condition or not? And yes. it is so much more not complicated that
1: yes, than that. And And again, even in the transgender community, there is a lot of very different expressions of gender, like you just said. And I think that's confusing for a lot of people, too. So just to give a quick overview, just to break it down in simple terms, you have the male to female, where you are, you're born male, and you're presenting then as female. You have female to male, where you're born female, but you're presenting as male. And those are, I guess, easier to kind of quantify and understand, because we're, as a society, as, as people, we put things in categories, right, to understand them. But then you have non-binary people. Who non-binary are people that have a gender expression that's not seen as as male to female or female to male, where they're one day possibly feeling feminine, one day feeling masculine. So they don't really identify with any gender. Their gender is, is expressed, you know, in different days, different weeks, different times. Um, so I think that causes a lot of confusion. And then there's the pronoun situation. People are, you know, at the point right now, really worried about what do I call someone? And really, if we were to break it down very simply, the easiest way to do it would be to call someone they or them, because you're not actually assigning a gender. You don't have to worry about what gender they are. So, you know, it's hard because it's We really, in a a perfect society, would ask people, so what's your name? What's your preferred pronoun? What do you like to be called? Um, Because sometimes it's not that easy to tell. Um, And making that assumption could make someone feel really uncomfortable. So there's a lot of education involved in this, as you can see. A lot to learn. A lot of information that is out there. But I think, you know, we're not all taking the time to learn it.
0: Right. And I think at times you feel shameful about not knowing things. And I, I, as a therapist... of realize at times it's okay to ask, right? So it's it's worse if you call someone something and you're not acknowledging it and just like pretending (laughs) that didn't happen or kind of like assuming something versus kind of like inquiring about their preference as far as a pronoun or like if you make a mistake, just like owning it and apologizing.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the key is to not overthink it too and not become paralyzed by the whole situation and say, well, I'm just not going to talk to anybody ever again because I'm afraid of offending them. <laughs> <laughs> they're people, you know, they're not, you know, robots. If you simply say, you know, hi, what's your name? Oh, what's your preferred pronoun? If you are confused, if you are looking at someone and are unsure, they're very androgynous. You really don't know where, where they're at. How hard is that, right? But what if you do mess it up? What if it is somebody who is in the middle of transitioning and then they, they just say to you later, well, I'm actually female. Wait, if you call them sir, for instance. It's so simple to self-correct and just say, I'm so sorry about that. I I wasn't aware. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. And moving on from there. You know, we don't want to become so politically correct and so overly cautious that we stop interacting because that becomes ridiculous. So I think if you talk to most people who are transgender, they would say, I would much rather have a dialogue about it and open, honest conversation about it than be ignored. Or or just misgendered entirely on purpose because that's really hurtful and really painful. So yes, just just asking asking questions. It's so simple.
0: Exactly, and I think like as as you mentioned, kind of like inquiring about things and kind of like acknowledging people's preferences about the pronouns and like the way they want to get addressed. One other way that I see clients. So I'm I'm not like you. I'm not got specialized tra- uh, like training in transgender. That's a population. That I refer out often because I feel like any other population, people deserve a first class treatment. And if you're not kind of trained, you don't have enough experience in that area, it's better if you refer out. But one thing I oftentimes see that there's such a high comorbidity with people with yes. like with the other mental health challenges. So part of my practice, I help people with addiction. And at times I see that people kind of, because of the stress levels that they had, individuals that identify as transgender, they struggle with suicidality, with substance use. So that those are some of the common ones that I see. And I know, at least based on literature, they have the highest rate of suicide. So I want to hear your kind of experience about what are some of the common comorbidity that you see in this population?
1: Well, I mean, you just covered two of the major ones. Um, there's definitely a lot of self-medication initially if the person is really confused and doesn't exactly know why he feels or she feels so awful. Because a lot of times, if you, you know, especially now it's coming out more, but even as early as 10 years ago, people didn't know why they felt the way they felt. They didn't understand why they had dysphoria about their body or their appearance. They really literally just thought they were crazy that they were feeling this way, because there was no discussion about it. It wasn't in the media like it is now. So I think initially, what you were seeing is gender dysphoria, which is the actual, you know, the actual problem of feeling kind of trapped in the wrong body, where you look in the mirror, and it just doesn't match, you know, people, that's the first indicator that people do have possibly an issue with their gender, and, and that their gender is more fluid than what's thought. So that's the first, I would say the first thing that props up would be gender, you know, gender and body dysmorphia. But, you know, there's eating disorders, there's uh, addiction because of the self-medication, anxiety and depression, extraordinarily high. Because again, there's, even if they do understand what they're going through and are in process of transitioning, society doesn't understand it. And so they're getting very mixed messages that they're, there's something wrong with them, even though they might be sitting in a therapist office hearing you're fine, you're okay, this is healthy, this is good. They leave, and suddenly the media is telling them they're awful and that, they're, you know, that they shouldn't be doing this and there's something wrong with them, they're an aberration. They're hearing all these negative, horrible things about themselves, which is untrue. So I think you're seeing pretty much the whole gamut of mental health issues that can crop up, but they're magnified by this issue. And again, I don't believe they're magnified because the person is transgender per se, they're magnified because of how society is viewing it and how families view it and how they're being perceived by others. Their experience would be probably just fine if their parents were affirming, their friends were affirming, society was affirming. If everybody was on board and actually supportive, it's amazing how much those issues go away. Suicidal ideation drops to almost zero because again, that person isn't feeling so maligned by everyone. They're feeling accepted. They don't feel like there's something wrong with them. You know, if you were constantly being told every day that you were awful and that you were an aberration and there's something wrong with you, how would you feel? I mean, you would feel anxious, depressed, self-medicate, suicidal. It's really, to me, very simple, but I think it's become such a complex issue for everyone else. So exactly. I do see a lot of that.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, And I love that you're emphasizing kind of like getting acceptance, uh, receiving acceptance in your family of origin, because unfortunately there are so many uh, hatred and misunderstanding in the Mm -hmm. society. And I understand that parents might be scared because maybe it was easier for them if they had a child that was identified with like cisgender or, you know, so because of like, as far as navigating the situations in a unfortunately, heteronormative, like, a, you know, that, that, that's preference is on, uh, like, cisgender presentation. But at times, I think it's important to kind of do, uh, like, support your kid as much as the as power that you have, right? So you cannot right. change the society. It's important to engage in advocacy. But what you have power over is, like, support and uh, help your own children in this process.
1: Yes, and that's a huge point that you just made. I think that I you know, in the work that I'm doing with the families that I've worked with, the biggest indicator of success in that child's or teens or even young adults expression of their gender comes from a place of family acceptance. And it's amazing. Even just one parent, if you have one parent on board, you're in a great place because that other parent eventually one way or another is going to get there or that child is eventually going to get to the point where they're not going to want to be around that parent because they just can't handle it. But it's so interesting to watch when families do come to a place of acceptance and do overcome that fear and then actually support and start to defend their child. It is amazing the increase in self-esteem, their, their just whole ability to embrace themselves and just their ability to truly transition into who they need to be is is so it's just incredible. It's incredible to see. It's incredible to watch. Um, and if I could just emphasize for anybody struggling with a family member or a friend who is going through transgender transitioning, really to accept them and embrace them. Take them where they're at. You will become such an ally to them and it's such a powerful force for them. And it's, you know, it's just pushing aside some of your own fears and getting some education. I, I think the biggest piece I can recommend, and I have a few books to recommend, but I really, really think getting a lot of education on it yourself, suddenly the fear starts to drop away once you know more information. You know, knowledge is power. Everybody says that. and It's so true. If you know more about this, the less likely you are to be so fearful about it.
0: Right. And I, and I like that kind of like you're emphasizing the willingness that, okay, so you might not know about how you can support your kid, but like willingness of learning and kind of reaching out to get resources are important. And I think part of it, like coming to therapy, is not like if your child is going to therapy or you guys doing a family therapy means that it's 100% he's going to go to transition, but at least it's right. going to give him or her opportunity to kind of process and understand their internal experiences better.
1: Exactly. And, you know, it's so interesting because not everybody who is transgender does decide to transition. There are, there are many who, who do not choose to do any hormonal intervention or any surgical intervention and simply live their lives as they are. So, you know, there's many different types of gender expression. And I think if we just stopped putting so many labels on it, you know, that's feminine, that's masculine, that's for girls, that's for boys. And really just letting everybody experience life from a place of any gender. You know, I think even for cis people, it's harmful to put those labels on things. I cringe. And this happens a lot around me for some reason. When I'm at, like, say, the the Target and I hear a mom say to a little girl, no, you can't have that. That's for boys only. Or no to a little boy. Oh, that's so girly. Why would you want that? Oh, it kills me. Because again, why wouldn't they? Why can't they have that? Why can't that be an expression of who they are? So, you know, again, I think it is a lot of this is very societal and a lot of the acceptance issues really do come from a place of our society. And if we did live in a place where everybody was just very fluid about what gender represented, everybody would be happier. You know, men be able to cry. Women would be able to be welders. Why are these things so difficult for us to manage I, I guess for me it is hard to understand
0: and I, and I love how passionate you are about these topics and it's true because unfortunately we hear all this message that this is that this is not a toy for a boy or girls cannot get or do this kind of profession so that's something that we all need to kind of be more mindful of so I guess the other thought that they have is so you're right Part of the population that choose not to go through, like even like coming out at parts of like America, even I know we have listeners from all around the world. It might not be safe. But for people who decide to come out, uh, what are some of the issues and concerns that you notice that people are facing when they're going through the coming out kind of process?
1: Well, it depends on the age of the client, but I mean, for our teens, especially we're getting there. I think some schools are more accepting than others, but I think just initially simple as naming and gendering by using pronouns is a big issue initially because the person feels so uncomfortable being the other, you know, the other gender. When you misgender them, it's kind of a slap in the face and it makes them feel even more awkward and more uncomfortable and more upset with themselves. So, one of the biggest issues is making sure that everyone that is involved in that child's life, let it be a teacher, a pastor, you know, a coach, is really aware of what's happening and, and it has the, the understanding that they need to use correct pronouns. They need to use the right name. Um, if the person has elected to change their name, use their correct name. Do not go back to what they call is their dead name. Because, again, it's Disrespect. It's basically saying you don't accept a person as they are, that you refuse to see that this is what's happening. Um, so I think that, for you know, is one of the biggest issues that crop up in the very beginning is just people being, you know, not accepting or people really actually write out saying what you're doing is wrong. This is awful. How could you do this? It's against the Bible. There's a lot of religious undertones that crop up, um, especially if the person comes from a more fundamentalist or conservative type religion that has a belief that this is 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 abhorrent and and morally wrong. So there's a lot of internal struggles with that. That's a very big one I've noticed too with religion um, as and something that needs to be worked on. You know, and then just dealing with the comorbidity of some of the issues that they're experiencing because generally they do come in at the minimum with anxiety because they are feeling so uncomfortable. Um, So it's it's kind of working to Mitigate some of those issues, or substance abuse, or or suicidal ideation. So really, just dealing with the crisis issues that are that are present right from the beginning. But to me, I I have to say it's so interesting. The more you work through the transition issue or the transgender piece, suddenly those comorbidity issues start to fade. The anxiety becomes reduced. The depression lifts. It's so fascinating to see that perhaps a lot of these mental challenges or mental illness challenges they're having are actually not really mental illness at all, but really grappling with the fact that they are not the gender they were assigned at birth. That, to me, I think is the biggest piece of it, is seeing those changes. And I and I haven't seen, of course, enough clients to do a full research study on it, but it's something that that really does fascinate me. How much do these mental illnesses that they present with start to go away once they acknowledge and accept and embrace who they truly are.
0: Right. And the other thing that I'm very glad is like, like the changes that being transgender doesn't, it's not a mental illness, the same way that being a gay or lesbian is not a mental illness. No. But the diagnosis that we have is gender dysphoria. That we kind Correct. of, at times, we use in, in kind of diagnosing people. And again, most of the time, it's just, like, helping people to navigate financial resources. So tell us a little bit about gender dysphoria. How is it different than just, like, does everyone who struggle, like, who they have, like, you know, gender identity problems get the gender dysphoria diagnosis? And how do you see the difference?
1: Well, I mean, I think that... Generally, yeah. I mean you could give you could give gender dysphoria diagnosis to anyone who is transgender, but not everyone who is transgender has gender dysphoria. I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of one of those catch-22s where, you know, most people most people have some sort of dysphoria about themselves. So this is actually pretty common. I would say we all, when we look in the mirror, have things about ourselves that we wish we could change. But for someone who has who is transgender, it's really crippling. It's to the point where mirrors are just incredibly hard to have in the home because looking at themselves you know, every, is a reminder every single time that that's not who they are. So I think, you know, that diagnosis is 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 a, a very real one and it is an actual physical manifestation of the gender identity crisis. It really is just more the physical doesn't match the internal. So they're they're grappling with you know, and especially, I think it's really hard for those transgender people who are male to female and present as very manly. They're, you know, six, three, have a full beard, extremely masculine to society's views that it's really difficult because again, inside, they do not feel that way at all. And every time they view themselves, they view themselves as, this you know person that doesn't match that doesn't fulfill what they really believe they should look like that they would love in a moment to be dainty and cute and just you know small and adorable and those things and so that gender dysphoria is very real and it, and it really can become crippling and it can become um, something that needs to be addressed through therapy uh, but not everybody experiences that because there are some people where, their, you know, transition is much smoother there. You know, there are, you know, especially female to male where they're able to transition pretty easily into that role um, and are accepted right away. Again, it's a societal acceptance thing. If You're out and about and people suddenly are calling you, sir. And, you know, when you say your name is Jack, they fully accept it. It's a, you know, it's affirming. You're like, oh yeah, good. People see me the way I am. So I think the gender dysphoria again is a lot of it is acceptance and who sees you as for what you are, you know, it then becomes internalized.
0: And as you were talking about kind of challenges of the transition from male to female, I was thinking about a few of my clients that they, they did well with the transition, but now they struggle with eating disorder because of like, you know, they wanted to be smaller. They, it's hard if you were born in the male body to kind mm-hmm. of, kind of have the same Presentation of female. And I know even the way that media presents, (laughs) no one can look like those models. And it would be so much more challenging if you were born at a male body.
1: Correct. You know, I think that's so hard. And it's so funny because I, you know, I also try to be a support in all different areas. So I'm part of a lot of Facebook communities for transgender people. And I I think reading some of those posts from people who really are struggling with the fact that, you know, I'm never going to be fully viewed as as a beautiful female and, and their perception of what that is is so hard. And then, you know, another challenge is for a lot of clients who are, you know, male to female, there are things they wish they could have, like the ability to give birth and be a mother, you know, that they have to come to grips with that they'll never have. You know, so there's a lot of loss and grief too, I think, in this work. I think there's also loss and grief even in leaving behind their previous genders, that they've been accepted by, you know, it's, it's, you know, having to go through that hard road of realizing, wait a second, I'm losing my privilege. I'm no longer seen as a man. Um, now I have to be fearful for my safety. I have to worry that, um, I'm not going to be taken seriously at work. You know, it's so funny, even those little things that you don't think about every day. It's so funny, but watching clients realize that, or watching a, a female to male say, you know, I'm suddenly getting a lot more respect. It's really kind of nice. <laughs> so it's it's little subtle things that we don't even realize that we take for granted as part of our genders. So interesting. So interesting. There's so many different facets and layers to the to the whole process.
0: Right. And I think I when I I was getting training for sex therapy, I know part of the thing that they were talking about, the presenters, it was around how, like, you know, at times when, when a teenager is transitioning or a young adult is transitioning, sometimes they're the physician, they don't talk about preserving the uh, kind of egg or sperm. So if in case that, in, in case, if the person want to have, have child, biological children in the future, they would have that option. So I feel there are so many nuances that many people are not aware of that. And I think it's just important to get more
1: education. Oh, definitely. And I think that even our healthcare providers need more education. You know, it's funny. I've had, you know, clients go for chest, you know, chest surgery or bottom surgery. And even people that profess to have a specialty don't understand a transgender client when they walk in the door. And this, you know, even their medical records and calling them he when they're a she in, you know, it's very frustrating. You know, they'll come back to me and say, I can't believe that doctor. They say that they specialize in chest surgery, but he kept calling me she the whole time. And I'm obviously male, like it's, it's very un, unsettling. And so even our medical providers, I think, need to be educated a lot more on how to support this population. And, and I think the organization WPATH.org um, actually does a lot of work with that worldwide and encompasses you know, psychiatrists and medical doctors and surgeons and therapists that all kind of come together to give the best care and give support to this community. So there's a lot of resources out there also to help families and help people who really are saying, wait a second, I need some help. Um, there are gender therapists like myself out there where, wherever you are there, there you can generally find one that can help you get through this process and not be so alone.
0: So I'm very grateful that we have you in our community in South Bay, in LA. So if if there are people that they want to kind of get more information about you and your work or get 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 a contact with you, what would be the best way?
1: I'm fine with email or phone. My phone number here in California is 1310-683-9047. And then my email is my last name, M-A-C-I-N-N-I-S dot C H r-i-s-t-i-n-e at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. I feel we can do multiple sessions on this. So (laughs) I guess this is the first part of our future conversation. It was so great to have you. Thank you so much.
1: It was wonderful being here. I really appreciate having this dialogue. I think the more we are open and discuss this topic, the easier it'll get for for everyone and i think it's definitely a, a dialogue that has to continue so i'm um, feel free to call me back to come in for a follow up i would love to do that i will <laughs> thank you hey you have a wonderful day you too
0: I hope you enjoyed our conversation. At the end, I wanted to remind you all that you can send your sexual related questions to me at drmaoli at sexologypodcast.com or you can record your voice memo at sexologypodcast.com. And what we usually do is I answer them on air and it's either me or with another sex therapist, depending on the nature of the questions. And I think it might be helpful for other people because it's interestingly, the questions I get is kind of similar and have similar themes. So you might not only get answered to your questions, possibly helping others. All right, I'll talk to you next week.